You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast that encourages mindfulness, gratitude, and hopefully an occasional laugh. I'm Mark Reed, a former college professor and lawyer. Now I live in the countryside of Japan, make traditional Japanese paper, and try to make myself and the world a little better today than it was yesterday. I'm here twice a week, either with research and observations or talking with inspiring, artistic, and influential people. The idea is to bring some calm and kindness to the world and help you do the same. Hey, here we are. I have a very special guest today that fits right in with the theme of our show. Uh, His name is Andrew Jordan Nance. He is the founder of Mindful Arts San Francisco, whose mission is to provide mindfulness instruction to youth at underserved San Francisco schools. They do that through a partnership with the San Francisco Education Fund. That, that's an awesome goal. Uh, like I said, you fit right in here. I, uh, I try to provide down-to-earth practice, practical mindfulness instruction to maybe middle-aged people who've been underserved, uh, <laughs> not socioeconomically, but uh, in the whole Zen mindfulness department. Um, Andrew is the author of four mindfulness books, including one we'll talk about today, the wildly popular children's book uh, entitled Puppy Mind. He is the recipient of the Points of Light Award, a national honor recognizing volunteer efforts to bring mindfulness to youth. So welcome to the program, Andrew Jordan Nance. Thank you so much. This is exciting. <laughs> so Andrew, I, I first uh, discovered mindfulness through a, uh, a John Kabat-Zinn book. Um, it was an audio book, and this was about 2002. Um, actually, I was in California. I was, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. But uh, almost 20 years ago, I was in my mid-20s. I had uh, I'd studied a little bit about Buddhism in college and in grad school. I've got a, an MA in religion and philosophy. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, of course, I get my Zen fix here in Japan. But all of my education and ventures with mindfulness or Zen came as an adult learner. Mm-hmm. Describe a little bit what it's like teaching mindfulness to kids. Do they intuitively right. pick it up? Is it a struggle? Great question. Uh, It's so much fun. The kids really take to it because, you know, we're in a school setting. So they just think, okay, well, this is just something I'm supposed to learn. (laughs) You know, I work with pre-K through fifth grade. And as they get older, I'd say fourth and fifth grades, there's a little bit more arm, arm crossing, you know, like prove this, prove to me that this works or this is valuable to my life. But a lot of the kids, or most of the kids, really just think, okay, well, I'm learning English today, and I'm learning math, and I'm learning Spanish, um, so I guess I'll learn mindfulness next. And they really just jump into it. And their, their memories are so incredible. Like I right. teach them a mindfulness poem that we do as part of our sit, which I call focus time. And I can't believe how quickly, like, Four, four-year-olds and sometimes even three and a half-year-olds can pick up this poem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just shocked because, you know, you try to teach an adult something and it's, <laughs> it doesn't stick very quickly. But, um, but what I do is I use theater games and storytelling uh, to convey the principles of mindfulness. So it's not just about showing up to a classroom and then just trying to get them to be quiet for a minute or right. two minutes. 
five minutes. It's, it's some of that, but it's also, let's talk about our wandering mind. You know, where does, what, what happy place does your mind like to wander to? <laughs> and they all will raise their hands because they know exactly what I'm talking about, that, you know, their mind wanders to video games or to the beach or to a fast food restaurant that they right. love. Well, um, you know, a lot of us uh, as adults, use mindfulness. I mean, I, I try to incorporate it in, in just day-to-day living and anything I do, but I all, also talk about using it to deal with anxiety issues, uh, you know, calming the mind uh, when you're stressed out about uh, the future, or maybe you're even thinking about the past and you, you know, you're feeling embarrassed about something all over again, something you did 15 years ago and using breathing techniques and mindfulness to, you know, bring your focus back to the present moment do you what benefits or have you seen that carried out in the kids like where their kids are having a kind of child anxiety moment you know whether that somebody stole their toy or whatever that is and using breathing or mindfulness to calm back down absolutely so i'll tell you a story i was um visiting a second grade classroom, uh, I guess two years ago now, because I haven't been in a classroom in (laughs) two years-ish because of the pandemic, but I've been doing my stuff virtually. But a teacher reached out, a teacher after class came up to me and said, I just wanted to let you know, you know, Johnny, let's say his name was, um, he went to the doctor with his grandmother. And I think think he was, he might've even been in first grade. he went to the doctor with his grandmother and the doctor was really concerned because this kid had a lot of, you know, uh, trauma in his life and his blood pressure was through the roof. And, um, so the doctor was like, this is off the charts. I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know. I've never seen this. And so, the either the the grandmother or the child, Johnny, uh, said, why don't I try to do that poem? and uh, see if I can calm myself down. So he did the poem and his blood pressure was back to normal. Wow, Um, really? Yeah, so it's not just about like the long-term trajectories that we're trying to to guide, but it's that moment-to-moment stuff that happens throughout our days. And there's so many stories, like I will see a kid in the hallway who's upset and I'll go up to them and I'll do this sort of game with them that we actually play in class called, what are you feeling? So I'll say to Johnny, um, oh boy, Johnny looks like you're having a big emotion. And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, do you feel uh, hot or cold right now? And they'll say hot. And then I'll say, you know, do you feel big or little? And they might say little. And then I'm, I might say, um, is your stomach tight or relaxed? And they'll say tight. And I'll say, is your heart beating fast or slow, fast? And you, you get the idea that right. I just give them this body scan that they get to do. Because what happens, I believe, for all of us is when an uncomfortable emotion shows up, the body gets a little hijacked, or the mind, I'm sorry, gets a little hijacked by both. the body. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> they both do. Um, 
but the body is saying, get this awful feeling out of me. I am feeling really tense right now and you need to fix this mind. So I want you to either yell or hit or say something to just fix this immediately. And mindfulness encourages us to do is turn towards the uncomfortability that's showing up in the body and sometimes the mind, um, but the body first and just kind of check in with it and soothe it like uh, like a child would come to you and want help for a big emotion. Uh, you know, taking the deep breath in through the nose because the breathing in through the nose activates the mind, breathing in through the mouth activates the body, right? If something's coming towards us, <clears throat> we want, we're gonna take a deep breath in through our mouths, not right. through our noses. But if we're trying to solve a problem, we really tr- wanna, you know, that's that's more um, intellectual, we wanna breathe in through our nose so we can make our most, the smartest choice, you know, possible. So, so I'll do that with the kid, that body scan, and then I'll say, you know, do you think you can wiggle your toes? which is actually kind of hard to do when you're really upset. <laughs> I'll try that. <laughs> when they're willing to wiggle their toes, they're like, okay, I'll try. And so they wiggle their toes and I'll be like, good job, you know? Yeah. And then they'll get a smile on their face typically. And, you know, we might high five or fist bump or something. And I'll say, do you think you're ready to go back to class? And then they'll go. And I, I haven't asked them what happened, what was the story, what did Susie do to you? Right. Because we're always going to say, I was the victim here. You right, know, right. I'm the hero here. Um, I'm <laughs> going to say, most likely, maybe it, maybe later on, I'd say, all right, I admit I wasn't the nicest person to Susie, but, but mostly, most likely, I'm going to say. Um, no, she was in the wrong and I was 100% right. <laughs> right. And, and especially if you're sort of emotionally charged at the moment, that's really yeah. not the time to get, you know, the best version of the story. That's right. It's, they're just going to be on the defensive, right? right? So I validate the experience. I don't try to change the experience. I don't try to fix the experience. And I don't try to um, say that this is bad, that you're feeling this emotion. One thing I think... Uh, our parents did, a lot of our parents, uh, and maybe even psychologists did, that I think is incorrect, is that we've labeled emotions negative or positive, and that's just not true. You know, anger in a dark alley, is that a negative emotion when someone's <laughs> coming towards you? No, you want to be as angry as possible um, and to think clearly, but to, to, to use that anger as a force to protect yourself. So, so I don't think, I think that's an outdated uh, model mm. of, yeah. of framing emotions. They're just, they're just unpleasant or pleasant or neutral. As right. you know, in Buddhism, that's a, that's a common. Uh, right. But I just had an episode that discussing what, what really is, is kind of an uncomfortable topic for people who grew up with, notions of good and evil to say that well, there there isn't really anything inherently good or bad things just are and right. that that's hard for people to get their head around when they've grown up with this is good this is bad and but that does you know and someone who doesn't understand that concept quickly might shoot back like well what about you know murder mm-hmm. or something you know of course that you know I'm not saying 
what I try to explain is there are karmic consequences to our actions, you know, and in that way, there are bad things and good things, you know, and we, we should strive for benevolence and compassion and love. Uh, but you know, the, the emotion, like you were talking about in and of itself is not bad. It it just is. And when we, acknowledge that and accept that we actually gain some mastery over it well how uh how did i told my story before about how i uh encountered mindfulness uh for the Mm -hmm. first time where did you start and then you know tell that story and lead up to how you ultimately founded the mindful arts san francisco okay sure so i was a theater major and i wound up running a theater school for almost 20 years And my mom had passed away, I think in 2012, I think maybe. And um, uh, I just felt like, okay, I need to have a new chapter here. Life is short. So I, I gave six months notice and left there. I'm still on the board. Uh, So um, anyway, I got into a program called the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. They have a great summer program where you kind of, it's like a sleepaway camp for teachers. And we were there to learn about social and emotional learning. And one of the focuses was on mindfulness. And I realized that some of the games that they were playing with us at uh, the center were very much, and they were calling them mindful games, but they were very much theater games that I had played in college, I had played in rehearsals, and I just had this light bulb moment that theater training and mindfulness training are very similar. Both invite the participants to be fully present in in their minds, hearts, and body, to really try to connect with the other people around them and their environment. You know, sometimes you're on stage and you're supposed to be in the Arctic and you're supposed to be cold. (laughs) So you have to really feel like, okay, what, what would that sense, what would that feel like if I were really cold? You know, the difference, however, in my mind is in theater, you want to be as reactive as possible. You know, if you and I are on stage together, it needs to get interesting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can't just shake hands and walk away. Right. You know, someone needs to, you know, accuse you, accuse you of something or pull right. out and stimulate or, some action or something. Exactly. Something right. exciting. And in life, we really don't want that much excitement. <laughs> right. We can help it. And so we really want to um, respond wisely to situations rather than react blindly to situations. And that's where I think the two trainings diverge. So I really felt like I, I had had all this sort of mindfulness training. We do, you know, you do breath work in college, you, you do Tai Chi, you, um, you do, you know, interactive games where you just notice everything about your scene partner. Oh, they're blinking. Oh, they're nodding their head. Oh, they just scratched their ear. Whatever <laughs> it is, you are just Constant, you are training your mind to be as focused on the other person in front of you as possible. So, so you already had a background. Totally. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was like, wait a minute, I've been doing this. Right. Um, the only issue is uh, I still had a reactive nature. You know, uh, you know, when a loved one 
said the wrong thing, I tended to flip out and I still do it. It's still sort of in my body, but I'm working on noticing, oh, here, you know, I'm feeling an unpleasant sensation in my body. And I just get curious about the unpleasant sensation um, before I'm hijacked and I can, and it just goes away on its own with breath. And yeah, that just to cut in for a sec, I, uh, um, one thing I talk about is that it's a continual practice. Like there's an, it's not as if there's some end goal, like, Oh, now I've, I've got mindfulness. Oh, I'm good now. I'll never get angry again. Well, right. you know, no, I mean, it, it, you still have challenges every day, but it gives you the tools. And if you, as, as you practice it more and more, you cultivate a sense and an ability to, to deal with it, you know, much easier. Yeah, and then right. if you're just wildly going into some emotion. That's right. Yeah, it's habitual. And, you know, we're all just a series of habits, you know. Right. That's why we behave like our mother or our father or <laughs> certain situations, you know, plus there's DNA involved. So, so just that noticing over and over and over again allows us to be less at the mercy of our habits yeah. and DNA. Well, how did, uh, so then take us to when right. you founded a uh, uh, mindful arts, San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. So very quickly I f- signed up for mindful schools, which is an online resource that's global and you can take it anywhere, uh, online. And, uh, I took like three classes and a th- few months later, I, I found a kindergarten class that was willing to have me come on board and teach mindfulness twice a week. And so I did that. And then I got another class after that. And about six months into it, I ran out of the mindful schools curriculum because I was going twice a week. And, uh, I guess I should have just gone back and read, redo redid some of the curricula redo some of the curriculum but i didn't i started playing theater games instead and then i started looking for um books on mindfulness for kids and i didn't really find anything that was Mm. amazing but i did find one that i thought all right let's try this out and and the kids really did not respond to it at all so i decided to go home and write a mindfulness book for kids and it was called Puppy Mind. And in fact, that day, I think I wrote four books uh, <laughs> that have all been published uh, in, in another book that I wrote called Mindful Arts in the Classroom, which is a whole curriculum. So, so I did that. And then the following year, I asked the San Francisco Education Fund, who I had partnered with, you know, could we bring in other volunteers to either be my teaching assistant Um, actually, I think at that point it was just to be my teaching assistant and they said, sure, why not? So we got, I think five volunteers that year who came in periodically to be my teaching assistant. And then the year after that, I had written the entire curriculum at that point. And I said, well, I've got this whole curriculum. Why don't I train volunteers to come in and learn my curriculum and then they can have their own classes. Well, that worked really well because that next year we had 20 volunteers and they all got to go into their own classrooms and teach the curriculum and it worked really well. 
And then this past year, even during COVID, we had 40 volunteers and we hired a program coordinator to place all of them in schools all over San Francisco. And since it was virtual, we even had people from Los Angeles and Northern California as well that could teach in San Francisco classrooms. So it's really been successful and easeful, very organic. I, yeah, I, I was going to say that that was the word I was going to use. Is it's it's it sounds pretty cool that it grew organically like that. In yeah. instead of, uh, I mean, it's it's fine to have a vision for something, but it it sounds like you started with something and it just grew. Yeah. And uh, I, I love that because, you know, it wasn't like you went in ambitiously, like I'm going to start the, the greatest <laughs> mindfulness center, you know, <laughs> that's right. and uh, that, that's yeah. awesome. It just sort of evolved and people really saw that my heart hopefully was in the right place and they just wanted to be a part of it. And they also, they also saw the value of mindfulness, I think, in their own lives and you know, all of them, I think, would say at one point or another, you know, I wish I had had something like mindfulness when I was growing up. Absolutely. Uh, that, uh, that is a great segue to uh, the next topic. I wanted to talk about Puppy Mind. And uh-huh. I wish I had a book like that when I was growing up. Like I said, I didn't really come across this stuff until I was in my early 20s. And, uh, but uh, Puppy Mind's awesome. It, uh, um, and, um, I'm not doc- knocking Dr. Seuss or anything, but <laughs> I think this is better. Uh, it's beautifully yeah. illustrated yeah. and the message is terrific. Uh, describe to people the gist of the story. I mean, it's, you know, it's a children's book. It's like 17 pages, uh, you know, just the gist of the idea of the story and, uh, and how you came up with that idea of puppy. Right. Mind. So in Buddhism, there's something called the monkey mind. Yeah. And <laughs> I didn't like the idea of writing a story about a monkey mind because I really feel like monkeys are wild animals. You know, they've, <laughs> right. they've really never sort of been part of, uh, the human experience, except maybe tangentially. And, and, and dogs have been around humans for thousands and thousands of years. So it just felt more um, user-friendly, to, especially for children, to bring in the idea of that wandering puppy mind that you have to train over and over and over again with mm-hmm. kindness to come back again and again and again. And um, so the story is about a little boy and it starts, it starts basically, my mind is like a puppy. It likes to wander and explore. If I don't watch it carefully, it'll go through any open door. My mind can dig up memories. Like when I got yelled at for not uh, sharing my things, my mind can scamper to the future and I don't always like the pictures that it brings. Um, so, so you can imagine the illustrations are quite fun and beautiful. Uh, the illustrator is a gentleman by the name of Jim Dirk, and he draws for Clifford the Big Red Dog, which oh, wow. some of your listeners know who that is. We, right. we, you and I probably grew up with Clifford right. in some way <laughs> or another. Um, and yeah, and basically it's about teaching the mind to come back um, with kindness, with our breath, so that uh, we just get better and better at noticing when the mind has wandered off. And so we can take that breath and bring it back, quiet that puppy mind, let it curl up underneath our chair so we can be our most present and more, most focused. Hmm. There, there was a line in it uh, that, that 
prompted a question in my mind. Uh, yeah. the, line, the line is, when my puppy mind is bored, it runs to the future and the past. Yeah. And, you know, of course, that happens to us as adults. Do children think about the past or the future? Yeah, they do. Because, um, yeah, like I said, you know, if I ask them what happy place does their uh, mind go to, they'll say the birthday party. So they do actually. Um, you know, I don't think they can clap. Like it's hard to for them to classify what the future and the past is. Like can, they can't necessarily name it. Right. But they could say, um, uh, you know, I'm thinking about last weekend when I had a big party, you know, you know, mm. but they, I don't think they can name past and future as clearly as you and I can, right. but they certainly have thoughts about it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting though, what you said before about how, yeah, I'm familiar with the Buddhist notion of monkey mind and yeah. how you, uh, you thought, well, I, you know, I think more fitting for humans is we can, we almost relate more to dogs. Yeah. I have a, a, a Facebook group that that's, uh, somewhat attached to this podcast, right? You know, I, I promote the podcast in the group, but I, we do other things and, uh, um, but it's called the Zen dog life. Oh and, yeah. And I, I, I got that in essence from a, a, a meme where yeah. there's like, it's like a guy sitting with his dog um, yes. and they're, they're like looking over the water or something. And yeah. there's like the bubble cloud thoughts above their head and above the guy, you know, it's like four or five different things. It's like money, you know, bills and all this stuff that he's, he's thinking about and worried about. And a, the bubble thought above the dog's head is a picture of him and the guy. Like, yes, exactly. Right. I've I seen that. That's so perfect because you're absolutely right. A dog mind is very different than a puppy mind. I think, you know, puppy mind is always about what's next. What's that? I don't understand that. How does that work? You know, and they're just always trying to figure everything out. And, and that's, that's what I say to the kids. We do not want to get rid of our puppy minds because it is magic to think about your auntie and then suddenly you're with her and she's baking you, you know, chocolate chip cookies or right. you're at your birthday party this coming weekend, you know? So this is a great, cool tool, <laughs> uh, but we just want to, we just want the puppy mind not to be in charge. We want to be in charge. Right. We want to close our eyes and go to Hawaii or our favorite vacation spot. That's pretty amazing. So you don't <laughs> want to get rid of the puppy mind. You just don't want it running the show. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, uh, um, so I suppose people can find the books on Amazon. Yes. Okay. I will, uh, I'll link that. And I, I know we talked about puppy mind, but you've written four uh, um, total. What, what are the titles of the other three? And I'll, I'll put links in. Sure. Thank you. Uh, the lion and me, which is about naming and taming our anger. And then the barefoot King, which is a folk tale I wrote about learning to navigate the bumps in the road. And then the last one is a, almost a 300-page curriculum called Mindful Arts in the Classroom. And then something you can't get on Amazon, you'd have to go through my website, andrewjnance.com, is I have breathing cards, 50 different ways to breathe, from Wonder Woman breathing to Spider-Man <laughs> breathing, 
to dolphin breathing, to snake breathing, to elephant breathing, you name it. There's a bunch of different ways to breathe and kids really love to choose how to breathe that day in class. Or if you have a child at home, you could have them choose a way to breathe before going to school in the morning or before going to bed at night. Um, so real fun opportunity to connect with your, your children, whether at home or at school. That's awesome. Well, I will, I will link that as well. Um, well, Andrew, thank you for your time, man. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you. And if anyone wants to volunteer and they're in the San Francisco Bay area, please feel free to contact us. I, I do have, uh, I, I know of one uh, listener in particular, uh, I'm sure I have more uh, that lives in San Francisco. So I'll, I'll make sure she gets this message in this episode. Um, Fantastic. Thank you. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, wherever you are, um, buy us a cup of coffee at patreon.com slash Zen sandwich. Uh, that will, that link will be in the notes as well. If you do, uh, even if you just contribute once and cancel afterwards, I will send you a handmade postcard on washi. That's traditional Japanese paper that my wife and I make here in Japan. I'll send that to you wherever you are in the world. I mean, who doesn't like getting a postcard from another country? Uh, that's worth three bucks right there. Anyway, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. Thank you.